Amen. What was said in that bridge is so fitting. One, what once was dead is now alive. You gave to me the breath of life. I came out from the grave. This is all about what we are learning this morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Like's been said, um, Adam's not here this morning, but he's given to me a really amazing, glorious challenge, I think. He's left me to introduce to you the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. And this really is a glorious chapter. If there is in the Bible a, a clearest, fullest exposition of theology and doctrine of the Christian life, it is the book of Romans. And if there's a chapter in the book of Romans that is just that, the clearest, fullest treatise on the life of the Christian, it's Romans chapter 8. That's where we are this morning. It's really a mountain peak on the theological landscape of Romans. So, there's so much glorious truth in these just 39 verses. It's, it can't be overstated. I looked at it quickly, and I just jotted down quickly eight things that Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. First, Paul demonstrates how the work of the Spirit is to apply the work of Christ to us in sanctification. Second, we're adopted of the Father by the Spirit. We're made his children, and we call him Father. Third, we're heirs of God with Christ as our elder brother. Fourth, we await a new creation which is so glorious it makes our present suffering seem very, very small. Fifth, the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us. Sixth, all of us who are saved will be glorified in resurrected bodies. Seventh, there's no power in existence that can destroy the bond of God's perfect love for us. And eighth, in Christ we're victorious over every power that would oppose us because we're eternally united to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. All of that is in these next 39 verses. And we get to look at the first four verses together. And this is what we're looking at this morning. This is the problem. You have to die. Every one of us has to die. And if you haven't died yet, you will die. And I'll clarify soon that I'm talking about your heart, the inner man. If your inner man hasn't died, it has yet to die. You have a certain death awaiting you. But, this is what we'll find out in Romans 8, 1-4, God has made another way so that you don't have to die eternally. More than that, if your heart, your inner person, has died and been raised, rather than death, there's actually a glorious, eternal life ahead for you. And when your body stops working, you'll transition to the fullest life that you've ever known, and it'll last forever. That's the first four verses of Romans chapter 8. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We're actually going to start in verse 25 of Romans 7. Romans 7, 25. As you're finding your place, will you please stand as we read God's word together? Starting in Romans 7, 
chapter 20, or verse 25 through Romans 8, verse 4. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There's so much in here. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Our God, we pray that you would open for us, yourself, by your Spirit, the truths of Romans chapter 8, that we are united with Christ, and that through our union with Christ, everything that he has for us has been made ours. His death, his burial, his resurrection. Lord, make this the case for every one of us here this morning. Teach us through your word. Open it up to us. Preach to me. Preach to all of us. We ask that you would change us to be more like our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please take a seat. So let's recount quickly how we got here in Romans chapter 8. Adam's been doing this every week. Briefly, Romans 1 through 3 were all about wrath and propitiation. We deserved wrath, but through the atonement of Christ's death, that wrath may be removed from us. Romans 4 through 5 were all about justification. That is, God can see you as righteous because your sin has been given to Christ and his righteousness has been given to you. Then in the next two chapters, 6 and 7, we were introduced to sanctification. This is, if you're united with Christ in his death, his burial, his resurrection, your old sinful heart, your old sinful inner man has died and has been brought back to life and is obedient and it's a heart that beats for God's glory. Now in Romans chapter 8, we build off this theme of sanctification and your union with Christ and learn about glorification. Adam mentioned that sanctification and glorification are tied together. Glorification is actually the end. It's the fulfillment of sanctification. You have a, a process of holiness that's begun in your heart by the Spirit of God, and that'll continue throughout your life being made more and more holy until finally one day when you die, you'll be raised in a glorified body, and you will be perfect and perfectly holy in not only your heart, but in your whole being. That's glorification. And that's what we see in Romans chapter 8, and we're introduced to it here. So, what I really want to say here is that we're going to look at these first four verses, and this is important, in the lens of sanctification. There's justification that happens in these verses, but we're looking at it in the lens of sanctification. And how do you think about that? Think about it in terms of being united with Christ. We're in Christ. 
And that's what's going to open up this passage for us. This is the big idea. If you are united with Christ, you will not die. You will only live because you've already died. So if you are in Christ, you will not die because you've already died. And you've already died, therefore you now only have life ahead of you, and your life is for God. So starting in verse 25 of chapter 7, I'll show you why we want to start here. It's because, as we learned, Paul divides himself into two parts. Remember last week in Romans 7, 12 to 25, we learned about the Christian's internal struggle with sin, that there's in us a war raging between our heart, our new nature, and our flesh, which is our unregenerate nature. There's a war happening. One wants to be obedient to God, and one doesn't. These are the two themes. Look at verse uh, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... And these are the two parts. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, that is, my heart, my inner man. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Let's look at two of these briefly. First, the heart. Here he says the mind. He calls it the inner being in, in 722. He calls uh, it the heart in chapter 6, verse 17. It's all the same thing. It's the new creation. It's the new inner man that's been made by the Spirit. Now, as Adam said, this is the same concept that's throughout all of the Old Testament. It's the lave. That's the Hebrew word. It's the heart. Jeremiah 31, 33. I'll, I'll give you three passages from, from the Old Testament that say this. God prophesies this. Behold, the days are coming when I will put my law within them. Not only will the law be external so that we can read it, the law will be within us so we want to obey it. Psalm 55, remember David, in light of his great sin, he said, what? God created me a clean heart and renewed me a right spirit. Ezekiel eleven nineteen, God foretells this day, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a new heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. So what's Paul describing here? He's describing the most essential part of his being, which is his heart. And why is this distinct from the flesh? Why are there these two categories? And why do we need to make the distinction of our heart from our flesh? It's because the heart that Paul's talking about, his heart and all the hearts of those who are in Christ have died with Christ and been made new with Christ. So it's a holy heart. It's an obedient heart. And then what did Paul say? Although I still struggle with the sin that lingers in my flesh, I desire to do right from my heart. So the second part is the flesh. Paul uses the Greek word sarks, which Adam was using a lot. What's the distinction here? We know less about the flesh. It's not your heart. It's the part of you that is part of your humanity. It's corrupt. 
it's been tainted by sin. It's not regenerate. It's not been made new. It hasn't died. It has yet to die. And your flesh will die when your body dies. And it will be made new so that your whole being, heart and flesh, all of you will one day be glorified. So those are the two parts, the heart and the flesh. And this is why we have to, to, to make this clear from the previous verses. It's because in these next verses, Paul is talking about your heart. When he says, you have died, you are in Christ, you're obedient, you walk by the flesh, or by the Spirit, this is your new heart, this is your new nature that loves God. It makes that clear. Because if we just say, you desire good, well, we've already made clear that we struggle with that. Our inner self desires good, but our flesh constrains us sometimes to sin. So that's why we need to make the distinction. Paul is talking about your heart, your lave, the part of you that's already died and been raised. So next, we get an unfortunate chapter break. Romans 8, 1. Chapters are chapters. What are you going to do? But this is really what follows from Romans 7. So look at Romans 8, chapter one, uh, uh, verse 1. There is, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you write things down, write down, I will not die. I will not die. That's what we're going to see as we study these four verses. I will not die. But you have to die. You have to die. We have to understand this before we get to the there is therefore now. So let's start with condemnation. Why would there be good news in there not being condemnation? Because by nature there is condemnation. What's condemnation? Think about this, death. When you think condemnation in these verses, think death. Condemnation equals death. How do we know this? Romans 5, 17 through 18, Paul uses this as a shorthand for death. He uses condemnation and death interchangeably. Why? Because death is condemnation. Condemnation is death. Look at, um, you don't have to look there, but Romans 7, 10, Paul says this, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. What was Paul looking for? Paul was looking for life. Remember he said, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I've, I've followed all the commandments to the letter. He was looking for eternal life in the commandment. And what did it do? It brought death to him. It's because the holy law couldn't justify him because he didn't have a holy heart. Even the good that he did was tainted by sin. So what did the law do? It brought death. In other words, the law condemns. Now, if the law only condemns, how can I keep from dying eternally? The answer is in Christ. Look at the end of that verse. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who, who are in Christ. What does this mean to be in Christ? It's union with Christ. This is what we learned about in chapter 6, if you recall. Back there, remember 6, 3 to 4? 
you can flip there if you like. Romans 6, 3 to 4. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized therefore, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what the first half of Romans 6 is all about. A Christian is someone who's in Christ. This is absolutely necessary to a proper understanding of who you are. You have to know that you're in Christ. A Christian is one who's in Christ. If you're a Christian and you don't know you're united with Christ, you don't really know who you are. So remember the context here. Paul is saying there's no condemnation because you're in Christ in light of what? Our experience in life is an ongoing struggle with sin. Well, how does that work? This is the connection. Paul says, I want to obey the law This is all of Romans 7. I want to obey the law in my heart, but I'm held captive by another law, the law of sin that would try to kill me. And who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. He's delivered me from this body of death even now, and he will fully when I'm glorified. My flesh that holds me captive even now doesn't have the final say in my destiny. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I can't die because although I struggle with sin, my inner self has already been crucified with Christ and been made alive with him. That's the connection. So verse 1 means there is no condemnation, that is, you will not die if you're in Christ. So the rest of our time, we are going to, Paul gives us a couple reasons why this, this is the case, that there's no condemnation. So we'll want to see, why is there no condemnation, i.e., think, death? Why is there no death impending for us who are in Christ Jesus? And Paul gives us two reasons. Now, one objection that I'll raise here, because maybe you've raised it in your own mind, is but we all die. You say we won't die, and we're going to see why we won't die, but we all die. Well, this is true. We do die. The question is, will you die spiritually and eternally for your sin when your body stops working? Or will you die, in an amazing way, 2,000 years ago in Christ on the cross? Which one is it going to be for you? You see, all our bodies die, but for the Christian, your inner person has already died and been raised to life. That's what Romans 6 was all about. Such that when this body stops working, you'll transition in a moment, in the blink of an eye, to the fullest life ever. When you're on your hospital bed and your blood stops flowing and your mind stops working, you will maybe experience a bumpy transition but you will transition into full, glorious, eternal life because you don't have death in your future. Your death is behind you. You have only life ahead. So we die, yes, but for those who are in Christ, it's already happened. That's the answer. So why will your new heart, your new inner self, never die? How does being in Christ, like verse 1 says, 
keep us from future death. Paul will answer this by saying the same thing in two different ways. Look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is really a very profound and it's a very simple statement, but it's not immediately clear. All we have to do, I think, is clarify what he means by the law. And then it all comes together. You have to understand here that he's not talking about the Mosaic law. He's not talking about the 613 laws of the Old Testament that were given to Israel. He's talking about law in terms of a principle. So what is this? What's the principle of death? This is the principle of death. If you sin, you die. And what's the principle of life? This is the principle of the spirit of life. If you have the spirit, you live. So the principle of sin and death is that if you sin, you die. The principle of the spirit of life is that if you have the spirit, you will live. Easy enough? And Paul does this at the end of chapter 7. He uses this type of language. He says that all do, although I do right from my heart, I want to do right, the law of the sin, of sin, that is this principle of sin in me, holds me captive. The principle of sin holds me captive so that I need to be set free or I'll die. So what do you want? Do you want the principle of sin and death or the principle of the spirit of life? By default, as we've seen, the principle of sin and death dwells in all of us. It's a guaranteed reality for you if you're outside of Christ. But here, the spirit of life, that's the first part of the verse, can set you free from the death that your sin deserves. How, how did those, the, the book ends on this and this verse fit together? How does the spirit of life set you free from the law of sin and death? Is that all the verse says? It says, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in who? In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Through union with Christ, which we've already established, through being in Christ, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. The spirit, this is what he does. He applies to you your union with Christ and all of the blessings that exist in your union with Christ. Romans 6, 8 through 9 says this. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. You see, Christ has died, and he's been raised glorified, and he can't die again. This is all established on what Christ has done. So we have to understand what Christ has done. He has died, he has risen, and death no longer has dominion over him. That's what Paul says right there. And if Christ has been risen, I can be made alive. And if Christ has no dominion of death over him, and I'm in Christ, death has no dominion over me. You see, Christ could have very well died and risen to life, and that's all well and good, but it makes no difference. It doesn't make me a new person. It doesn't give me a new heart if the Spirit doesn't apply this and make me united with Christ. 
I don't experience the blessings of union with Christ if the Spirit doesn't apply them. And that's what the Spirit does in verse 2. The Spirit gives life, and He sets you free from the law of sin and death, which was your default state of condemnation before Christ. That's verse 2. If the law says you must die, and the Spirit says you've already died 2,000 years ago in Christ— then you've died. So we're building the case that there's no death awaiting those in Christ. The Spirit gives you life. The law cannot kill you because you've already died. And just to make that clear, that point was that if the Spirit gives you life, the law cannot condemn you. That's verse 2. If the Spirit gives you life, the law cannot condemn you. Now Paul says the same thing in a different way. Look at verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God did what the law could not do. What could the law not do? The law couldn't give you eternal life. It was powerless to do that. We already saw Romans 7.10. This is what Paul says. The commandment promised me life. That is, I was promised eternal life if I obeyed the commandments, all of God's law, to the letter. And that's true. If you obey all of God's law to the letter perfectly, you will have eternal life. And has anyone done that? Only one. Only one. We were powerless to keep all the law. When you were conceived you inherited a sin nature. You were born into sin, and without a complete recreation of your inner self, you'll never stand in God's presence. You need a rebirth. You need to be born from above. You need to be regenerated in your heart. You need a new, obedient nature at the core of who you are. So for everyone, except Jesus, the law only kills. The law only condemns you to death. It never gives eternal life. This is what the law could not do. You have to, have to, have to die. So how is this going to happen? Look at the first part of verse 3. For God. For God. God did what the law could never do. Does it make you think of passages like Ephesians chapter 2? That you were dead in sins and you followed the course of this world, but God, and that's the great news, but God did what could never be done apart from him. And then even in, in verse 25, we just saw, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. God. God can do this. God could do what the law could never do, and here's how he did it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. This is Paul's second reason that you won't die. Your sin was already condemned when you died in Christ. Your sin was already condemned when you died in Christ. Where did God the Father send Christ the Son? He sent him to the cross. That's what this verse is saying. Jesus, in the likeness of sinful flesh, that is fully man, and for sin, that is to deal with sin and its penalty, died. 
God condemned sin in the flesh. What was the condemnation we deserved? Death. What did God give Christ? Death. He died. That's what was accomplished, the condemnation of our sin. Now remember, Paul's thinking in terms of your being in Christ. So that when you, when Christ died, you died. Your sin was dealt with when you, that is your inner heart, died in Christ. Romans 6, 5 says you've been united with him in his death. So this is Paul's logic. You sin, therefore you must die. But this is where it starts to get better. Christ died, and now you can either die eternally in yourself apart from Christ, or you can die in Christ. That's the point. If you died, there's no condemnation. That is death. Now, do we see in here justification as well? We see justification. Our justification was accomplished on the cross. That is, our sin was imputed, credited to Christ on the cross, and he died the atonement that was necessary for our sin. And that, that's what Romans 4 and 5 were all about. But here Paul's moved on to sanctification. He's viewing this in, the, in light of your union with Christ, in light of your being made new from the heart. So that is, not only was your sin, this is where we see the, the, the distinction between justification and sanctification, not only was your sin given to Christ and his righteousness given to you, but even more that, when, when at the cross Christ died, by faith, the Holy Spirit changed your nature. Your old, sinful heart died. It was crucified. And when Christ went into the tomb and was buried, your sinful heart was buried. And when Christ raised from the dead, you rose with a new, obedient heart with him. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Who's to condemn? That's what Romans 8, 34 says near the end. Who's to condemn? Why? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, was raised. So to be a Christian is to be essentially united with Christ in the core of who you are. It's to be bound eternally with an unbreakable cord, and that cord is the Holy Spirit who applies your union to Christ. So that's Paul's second way of saying the same thing, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because your sin was already condemned when you died in Christ on the cross. So we've established that you will not die if you're in Christ for two reasons. One, if the Spirit gives you life, the law cannot kill you. That's verse 2. Verse 3, your sin was already condemned when you died in Christ. So what? Why did God condemn sin in the flesh? That's verse 4. Look at verse 4. He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
This is a sum of all these points. I will not die, I will only live for God. I will not die, I will only live for God. That's all of these verses together. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now this is really interesting. You'd expect him to say, especially if you were thinking in terms of justification, you're being viewed as righteous by God. You'd expect him to say what? The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in Christ. That would make sense, right? The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in Christ because he fulfilled all of righteousness. But here Paul says he does this in order that the, the, the righteousness or the, the law of God might be fulfilled in us. What does he mean by that? That the righteousness, how, how can the law be fulfilled in us? It's because God has given you a new obedient nature in the core of who you are that desires to fulfill the law of God and does fulfill the law of God. It does only good. It does only righteousness, even though we still struggle with a sin that lingers in our flesh. That's the point. The law of God is fulfilled in us with our new hearts. The requirement of the Mosaic law, all of God's laws, could never be fulfilled in the unregenerate heart. God had to give us a new nature so that we could obey his commands. Now, why is this important? Why do we need a new heart? Because if we don't get a new heart, we will continue to break God's commands. What does the Old Testament have to say about this? The Old Testament has a lot to say about it. We've already covered a few of them. Let me just highlight Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33. God's people were continually breaking his covenant. And what does he do? He makes a new way. He promises a new covenant that will solve this issue. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of the land, took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. All of Israel broke God's covenant in their hearts over and over again. And though many were justified by faith in God's promises, that's what Romans 4 has to say, they were still sinners in their hearts. Their, their natures weren't regenerated. They weren't obedient from the core of who they were. But God said, I will fix this. In Ezekiel, he says, I am promising a day when I will bring... I will write my law on their hearts. It won't just be external. It would be internal. That's Ezekiel 11. I will give them a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within them. I'll remove the heart of flesh or the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and obey my rules. We'll remove the old heart and give them a new heart that obeys God's law. What does this mean? It means that God will make his people obedient from the heart. And that's what he did when he united you 
with Christ. Your old self died, was buried, and a new heart was resurrected. You're made obedient from the heart. That's what God promised, and he's brought it all to fulfillment in Christ Jesus in his work. Now notice, we haven't really mentioned specifically, we see through here the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. Actually, in, in Romans 8, about 19 times the Spirit is mentioned. And only, I, I don't know, one or a couple times in, in the previous chapters. Here, it's all about the Spirit. So he just gives us a little teaser here. I won't really get into it because Paul, or Adam's going to flesh out what Paul has to say about the Spirit in the coming weeks. But just note here that this regenerating work is a Trinitarian work. It's one that's done with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit in you. The Father sends the Son to live in perfect obedience to the law, to die for the condemnation of the believer's sin, and is raised from the dead, and the Holy Spirit applies Christ's work to your life. This is what Paul's been leading up to, and he'll expand it more, all what the Holy Spirit does, who he is, and how he works in the life of the believer. But it's all by God, and it's all by the Spirit. Now, why is this important? Because he says, you must live according to the Spirit. If you're in Christ, you will live according to the Spirit. What does this mean? It doesn't mean that we're going to fulfill God's law by the Spirit in the sense of perfectionism. But what it means is that by the Spirit, the Spirit's desires are our desires. We're obedient from the heart. That is, the essential desire of the heart is the will of the Spirit. It is the glory of God. We want to obey God. If you're a Christian, you don't want what the flesh wants. You don't want what it would have for you. You want what the Spirit wants. And that's to live according to the Spirit because God gave you a new heart that beats, that is compelled for the glory of God. And the Holy Spirit seals it and dwells in it and actually directs it. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because if the Spirit has made you alive, you can't die. And also, because your sin was condemned when you died in Christ. If you are in Christ, you cannot die because you've already died. The condemnation that was due, your sinful heart has already been dealt. And you've been given a new heart if you're in Christ. In Romans 3, 8, or 8, 3, God has done what the law could never do. It could never make you obedient from the heart. It was only external, but God did it. How? By sending his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And by faith, the Holy Spirit makes our heart new and unites it with Christ when we die. And he raises up a new heart in desires that desires to obey the Spirit of God. So, 
you have to ask yourself, is this descriptive of you? Do you have a new heart that lives according to the Spirit? Because we've already seen that if you have a new nature, it is compelled. It can only do that which is right. The sin that you do is the sin that lingers in your flesh. But God has made you new. He's regenerated you from the heart. This is the heart of the Christian, the obedient heart. And obedience is the Christian's deepest internal desire. It's our controlling, our dominating power. It's to do the will of God. So don't fear death. You will not die because if you're in Christ, you've already died. You've been freed from any fear of future death because you've already died. So that being raised with Christ, you might live obedient to his law, glorifying him in your life from the heart. Thanks be to God because he has done this. What the law could never do, he has done by sending his own son to die, to be buried to be raised, that we being united with him by his spirit might experience all of what Christ did and we will never die again. We have no eternal death ahead of us. We have only life and that life is for God. Let's pray together. Our God, what glorious truths these are. In some way, all we can say is thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who's done what we could never imagine would be done. How could this be that we could be freed from condemnation, that we could be freed from death only by your work, O oh God, only by you sending your own son to die and to deal with our sin, and making all of that ours. Oh Lord, we praise you for giving us a new heart that lives and beats fully alive for the glory of God. Lord, would this be the case for all of us, that all of us would have new natures, that being in Christ, we would never die again. We'd have no fear of death because we have only life ahead of us. Oh Lord, ensure this work is done in every person here. Make us obedient from the heart and glorify yourself. That's the cry of our hearts. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.